Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. The now 20 year movement to legalize the use of cannabis shows no sign of slowing down. From efforts to harmonize federal law with state laws, to blockchain technologies linked to financing cannabis related businesses, the industry is widening and drawing increased scrutiny. Drew Lipman moderates a conversation between Will Moschella, Nadim El Shami, Brian Wilde, and Milan Dalal in which they address current DOJ enforcement actions, the future role of the federal government in regulation, and how and why support has come from both sides of the political aisle. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. I'm Drew Littman, and today I'm joined by my colleagues Will Michella, Nadim El Shami, Brian Wilde, and Milan Dalal. We're going to talk about cannabis today, and I'm going to jump right in with questions with this big group. Let's set the table for our listeners. What is or isn't legal under federal law today? Is federal law enforced today? Will? Thanks very much, Drew. So the Federal Controlled Substances Act uh, makes marijuana, cannabis, a Schedule One controlled substance, which means the manufacturer, production, uh, transportation of cannabis is unlawful under federal law. And of course, that conflicts with uh, multiple state laws as the states continue this 20-year process of uh, legalizing cannabis. Is federal law being enforced? Uh, the answer is yes, but the Department of Justice has priorities. And so at the top of their list um, are diversion issues, diversion of cannabis from a state uh, where it's legal to states where it's not legal. Also, uh, they continue to be focused on uh, large narcotics trafficking organizations. And so those are the primary uh, focuses of the Department of Justice. Uh, But it continues to be critical for this industry uh, that federal and state law be harmonized. Right. Problematic situation. So Can we say that the states are operating as laboratories of democracy in this area? Well, I would say yes. In fact, this is not too dissimilar from what occurred during Prohibition. States uh, began to uh, set their own laws with regard to alcohol. They're doing the same thing uh, with regard to cannabis. Some people call this state nullification of federal law. And uh, so they are certainly uh, experimenting, testing this out, seeing how it goes. Uh, Some states are uh, legalizing CBD oil, some uh, cannabis for the purpose of medicine, some for uh, adult use. And And uh, again, critical to the industry because uh, the conflict between federal and state law does give rise to any number of problems, particularly in the banking and taxation area. These experiments would flourish even more if uh, federal law was harmonized with state law. Well, thanks, Will. That's that's a great explanation for our listeners. Um, Nadim, let me turn to you. How many states have legalized cannabis for medical use and how many for recreational use? The number of states that have uh, legalized it for medical use is 33, and 10 uh, have legalized it for um, personal use. You know, the, 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 the states that legalized it just this in 2018, uh, Michigan legalized sale and possession of one ounce for 21-year-olds 
um, and older, and Utah and Missouri um, legalize it for medical use. So even very conservative states legalizing marijuana, we're seeing it um, as a popular ballot initiative, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. And if you look at just some general polling uh, sentiment, Pew in October had a poll that showed 62% uh, of American support legalization compared to 31% in 2000. And, you know, right now, currently, 7 in 10 Democrats support legalization. Wow. But, but clearly also, Brian Wilde, let me, let me turn to you, getting support from Republicans as well at the grassroots level. Yeah, I think, uh, I think cannabis has been kind of an amazing thing to watch nationally and certainly watching Republicans embrace it. I think, you know, at the state level, you have very conservative states like Oklahoma and Utah, which both have passed ballot initiatives regarding cannabis that kind of surprised folks. I think at the federal level, when Senator Gardner stepped out and really became a a, a vocal proponent for addressing at the federal level, uh, it gave a lot of cover to other Republicans. So, it's certainly not an R or D issue. I think it's it's bipartisan and growing on both sides on, on those that want to engage in the area. And bipartisanship brings us to our next subject, which is actual legislative activity on Capitol Hill, because we are, after all, lobbyists. Will, what kind of changes are proponents of the cannabis industry seeking next? So there are a lot of ideas, and maybe I should describe the kinds of buckets that uh, the legislation falls into. So there have been a number of bills introduced uh, to study cannabis and to study legalization. There are some bills that have been introduced to just deschedule uh, cannabis. Um, Meaning make it no longer illegal. Make it no longer illegal under the Controlled Substances Act. A couple bills that address particular problems. So, for example, uh, banking services are uh, often uh, difficult to uh, secure because of the operation of federal criminal law. And so there are bills that would just address the banking issues. There's a provision of the federal tax code, which penalizes cannabis business. Um, uh, Those familiar with it who are listening to this podcast know that it's Section 280E of the tax code. There are bills to address that. And then the final bucket are uh, bills uh, that would uh, just defer to the states, allow the state experiment uh, to continue. Uh, I talk about harmonizing federal and state law. So I uh, put these in the grouping, if you will, of federalism bills. Brian, let me turn to you. Uh, Can you tell us about the States Act Sure. I mean, so taking off what Will uh, Will mentioned, I think, you know, as far as the the federalism approach, which seems to be um, the 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 leading approach at the moment, a lot of it's because Republicans uh, are in control of the Senate. A lot of it's because there's a Republican in the White House. Um, So what the States Act does, it really applies the notion of federalism to to how we're going to deal with cannabis. So it it simply says that uh, the the federal government, if will not. treat it as a illegal drug in those states where the states have chosen to regulate it. So if you live in a state that uh, marijuana is illegal, it would continue to be illegal. The federal law wouldn't change that at all. Uh, however, if you live in one of the 33 states where it's medical or 10 states where it's recreational, then then the state law would take precedent and, and it would be regulated as such. Um, in a lot of ways, it's recognizing how the current enforcement is, is going on. Um, it gives some degree of clarity. Um, and it gives um, an ability for these businesses to to grow and expand in a legal environment versus um, constantly wondering uh, when the other shoe is going to drop. And what's the status of the bill as the 115th Congress draws to a close? 
Well, it, uh, it, it came out at Senator Warren, actually introduced it in the Senate uh, with Senator Gardner as, as the lead co-sponsor, um, and, and it has a 10 co-sponsors at the moment at a pretty bipartisan level. You know, over in the House, also a bipartisan bill. Um, and frankly, we're, we're looking at probably nothing going to happen um, as we go into a lame duck. I think there is an opportunity based off of promises that the president's made to Cory Gardner specifically, dating back to February of this year, um, to address it, that there's always an opportunity that the States Act could get added to something. Um, but it's more likely that we're going to continue to have this debate going into next year. And let's talk about next year. Nadim, what's your sense of how the change in control of the House will affect the prospects for the States Act? Well, it's it's really the art of the possible. Um, currently, uh, when the House changes hands into this 116th Congress and Democrats are in control and and these committee chairs are are uh, are looking at what they want to look into in terms of uh, cannabis and what committee hearings they want to uh, they want to hold and and uh, what bills they want to mark up. You know, in the House is, is something I call a, a sugar high. There's there's a lot of ideas floating around, a lot of bills that they want to pass on the Democratic on side. the Democratic side. But the art of the possible here is the States Act. Uh, because currently it does have bipartisan support in the House, does have bipartisan support in the Senate, uh, and the president has indicated that he wants to he wants to sign it. And in, in the states also are are, are clearly uh, supportive of this approach. So going forward, it's going to take a bit of time to build a coalition of support for the states act to see how it could move through the House. Look, and House Democrats are are, are also want some issues related to cannabis, um, you know, like uh, uh, criminal uh, justice reform as well uh, introduced in, in, you know, and um, perhaps added to the States Act. But again, goes back to what could get passed in the House and the Senate and get signed into law. Uh, I'm hopeful at the end of the day. And, and Brian, what about you? If the bill passes the House, do you think it will also get through the Senate or, or maybe it will be the reverse in the end? I mean, I think th- these are all politicians. We have we have um, every single member of the Senate and the House got elected, and they all can read polls. And uh, as Nadine mentioned, the polls are are pretty outstandingly in favor of of legalizing, uh, if if not fully adult use, then then certainly medical. And I think these politicians all see it. And this is going into two thousand and twenty, and it's an election year. 21 Republican senators are going to be up, uh, and I think it's 11 Democratic senators are up. Correct. As well as 10 Democratic senators running for president of the United States. Um, so no, there's nine. I actually I counted. Just nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's early. I'm right. sure somebody else will get in. I mean, I think this is this this becomes a a pretty uh, major hot button political issue, and and I think that that there is political will to get it through the Senate. Um, I think it'll get through on a, on a fairly bipartisan way. If you look at the states where it's it's been legalized, um, you know, a state like uh, Alaska that has has two Republican senators, both Republican senators are co-sponsors of the States Act. A state like Colorado, obviously, where you have a Republican senator and a Democratic senator, both are co-sponsors of the States Act. So, I think the momentum's there. I certainly think it can get through the Senate. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, the Senate make a, a, a first run at it. Um, and then to Nadim's point, I, I, I think there's there's a lot of voices over on the House side that, that want to have a say in, in this process. And so I can see the Senate move faster, but the, but the House take longer and actually be more deliberate, kind of the opposite of the way it's traditionally been done. Well, Brian, let me challenge you uh, on one point. You mentioned that this is a, a hot-button issue. It seems that this is 
if it's a hot button issue, it's the rare hot button where everyone who's really interested in it is on the same side. That is, the support is bipartisan or more or less it's a nonpartisan issue. It's not the kind of hot button where the proponents and opponents are in a sort of state of equilibrium or in a standoff, and you're trying to decide whose side to to take. It's the proponents and then maybe inertia on the other side. Is, does that sound accurate? Or Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I mean, there's, there's certainly uh, opponents out there, and I, I don't want to say there's not. You know, again, going back to Oklahoma, it was very interesting on their ballot initiative that there was a lot of money spent in opposition of, uh, of medical marijuana in that state and very, very little money um, spent mm-hmm. uh, in support of it, and it still managed to pass. So I think that, that while there's opponents... Um, and a lot of folks that want to keep the prohibition alive, they haven't seemed to find their ground game yet, and they don't have a, a, a pretty. They haven't been sticky with voters. Mm-hmm. There's also, I mean, we now have uh, there's a large group, Sam, out there that that has a significant amount of funding um, coming in now. Um, that's kind of new funding in an opposition. So we'll see if if they get some momentum going. But so far, the the opponents just haven't haven't been there. Nadim, it sounds like you want to say something. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the risk that Democrats are going to face in the House is is with those who support the States Act and, and beyond is how slow they're going to move. And the bills that are currently going to be introduced and, and the, that were laid out, for example, in, in, in Congressman Blumenauer's memo and the amount of time that was going to be spent in the various committees and the um, you know, subcommittees, committees, and the markup it, it takes you till the end of next year. I, I understand it's important to build a coalition and to build support for the States Act, but the longer you wait, the tougher it's going to be to try to get this passed. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Congressman Blumenauer. He's the author of the House version of the States Act, right? That's, that's correct. Thank you. Uh, Milan, is it true that blockchain technology is being used to track the cannabis supply? And, and if so, can you explain that to us a little, just a little bit? Sure. Um, The answer is yes, but even more crucially beyond supply to track cannabis money. Hmm. Um, So blockchain is incredibly powerful because transactions uh, using the distributed ledger technology are irreversible. And so when dealing with uh, marijuana, there's a potential for – there's always potential for nefarious elements to embed themselves within legitimate businesses. So here's where blockchain-based technology can be really critical. It offers the ability to track marijuana money across the ecosystem, from distributors to retailers to deposits at financial institutions, to assure both compliance officers and regulators that no illicit activities have occurred or dirty money has mixed in. And um, a critical point to everything that we've been discussing here is that even if there's a reclassification of uh, marijuana's legal status, there are still important public policy considerations uh, that banks and regulators will undertake uh, before going uh, gung-ho and allowing banks to just take a huge amount of marijuana deposits. And uh, this is where blockchain-based technology can really be critical. So so you're saying that companies can offer to use blockchain technology to make it easier for the feds to track marijuana revenues? Or or are you saying that companies should fear the use of blockchain technology because it offers a window into their operations? Actually, uh, there are companies out there, including a client of Brownstein's, that is utilizing blockchain technology to actually 
uh, reassure uh, uh, people in the marijuana ecosystem that this will actually be positive for them. One of one of the issues here is that. Uh, in addition to getting financial institutions to be comfortable taking the money, you still have to comply with anti-money laundering and other mm-hmm. public policy considerations that regulators are, are looking at. And uh, there is a desperate, um, I think, desire in the marijuana industry, uh, regardless of what point in the industry, to find legitimization. Mm-hmm. And having buy-in from regulators will help them get that uh, legitimization. And blockchain technology, there are technology companies that utilize blockchain that can help them get there. Well, thanks for explaining that. I, I was not familiar with this, I confess, and I think that will be of interest to our listeners as well. Well, let me turn back to you. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions was strongly opposed to cannabis legalization. What, if anything, is likely to change with his departure? Is, is President Trump also a prohibitionist? So, great question. So, President Trump has said uh, some positive. I'll take them in reverse order. So, President Trump <laughs> has said some positive things, both in his uh, election run as well as to Cory Gardner. He's re- he is uh, reportedly uh, in favor of the States Act, and he uh, certainly said on the campaign trail that he was in favor of uh, medicinal marijuana. With regard to the Department of Justice, I don't expect any significant changes in their uh, approach. I think they've got their hands full on a number of uh, high priorities, including opioids, fentanyl, interestingly, an increase in uh, cocaine coming in from Central and South America. Uh, and there's some regional uh, problems uh, regarding methamphetamine and other uh, drugs that they've certainly got their hands full with. I do think there are a couple opportunities coming up, however, given that um, Attorney General Sessions is no longer in the job. It's anticipated that the president will nominate a new attorney general at some point. That'll be an opportunity for senators to have a conversation with that nominee about the proper role of the federal government with regard to cannabis, particularly in light of all the activity in the states. Uh, furthermore, I believe and hope that the president will nominate uh, someone for the uh, DEA position and even the drug czar's uh, office. And those are all potential opportunities to further this discussion. The one thing that I'm looking at the department, one action item, is whether or not the uh, backlog or logjam on licenses for studying the medical impact of marijuana, those have been held up for almost two years now. And that'll be the one area uh, of official action out of the Department of Justice that will uh, potentially be telling as to whether or not there's a change of approach. Thanks, Will. Uh, Can I just follow yes, up Brian, on, just please. to kind of hammer the one point home that Will mentioned? You know, I think, you know, both the, the proponents and the opponents to legalizing marijuana would both benefit greatly from research. You know, as it is now, there is only one um, place that all researchers can grow their marijuana, which is the University of Mississippi. And it, it's a, a very small um, research pool that's that's looked into the effects uh, of this. So I, I I can see you know to Will's point on the the licensing at the the DEA to allow a more more growers to grow marijuana for research purposes and b for more researchers to actually research both the positive and negative effects of it to be a fairly bipartisan um, and quick solution to go to the next steps. I, I would note that there is. 
uh, within the last couple months, an FDA-approved uh, cannabis-derived uh, uh, childhood epilepsy drug that has been approved. So uh, I think Brian is right. Uh, more research is needed. Well, let me, let me take us in a slightly different direction, Will suggested by something you said a minute ago. You mentioned confirmation hearings for a lot of senior-level administration jobs that will be filled or refilled probably early in the 116th Congress. Those confirmation hearings create opportunities for an industry that's advocating for itself, um, that wants some contact with folks up on Capitol Hill, maybe people who don't sit on the committees of jurisdiction for the States Act, who could get involved. And, and I'm wondering, we've seen, I think, a debate in in multiple states and state-level lobbying on behalf of the cannabis industry maturing. What are we seeing in terms of the debate on the federal level? Is it at that same level of, of maturity, of professionalism? Thoughts, gentlemen? Brian? So I, I think we're getting there. there. There have been organizations that have been around for over 30 years to try to, to work towards legalization at the federal level and, and made little to no headway over the, that period of time. I think that there are new organizations, um, new funding streams. I think there's a mature industry that's a very uh, suit-and-tie, white-collar industry that people would be surprised is, is what is behind the cannabis space. It's it's not a bunch of guys in tie-dyes and long hair. It's it's a bunch of folks wearing uh, Brooks Brothers suits and, and, and ties. I think that from a lobbying standpoint, it's it's matured greatly. And obviously, the strategy is working. I mean, the number of co-sponsors, the, the sheer volume, to Nadim's earlier point, of legislation that's being introduced in a variety of different committees it's just jurisdiction shows that we're, we're getting there. Just for the benefit of people who are listening, of course, there's no there's no video here. Does this suit look like it came from Brooks Brothers? It certainly does. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Brian, that's insulting. Well, folks, thank you for an interesting and enlightening conversation on a cutting-edge subject. Thanks very much, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.